Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Fountain Church Podcast. Our prayer is that God speaks to you in a real and powerful way. So go ahead, grab your Bible, grab a notepad and your coffee, and let's dive in. Uh, We're in a series entitled Feels. I've been talking about the idea that over the last 18 months, there's been a lot of language around our feelings. I just feel this way. I just kind of feel like this. And so today I I titled the message, In My Feelings. In My Feelings. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm in my feelings. Look at your second choice and say, no, I'm not in my feelings. Because that's how our feelings operate a lot, right? We feel one thing in one moment and then we feel another thing in another moment. So I want to pray for you, Father, as we dive into your word. Will you speak to us, God? Lord, we are living in uh, an interesting time. That requires your wisdom, your truth, and above all, your spirit. So Holy Spirit, will you speak to us today? Would you illuminate our hearts and our minds, Lord, to really understand, Lord, what you want to reveal to us? And God, that we wouldn't just hear your word, but Lord, that it would sink deep into our hearts and move us to a place of application, God. Lord, that you would be glorified and that we would follow you with all that we are. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 Well, well, Apple came out recently with the new iPhone. It's pretty, pretty spectacular. In fact, the true depth camera system, they call it. Um, they're always increasing the camera. The phone hasn't changed much, but the camera has changed dramatically, especially the frontal camera. Now, this is a camera that you do selfies with and maybe take some video with of yourself. Uh, But it's a camera that's focused specifically on self. I mean, sometimes you can get a few other people in the picture, et cetera. You guys get the point. But it's actually amazing. You can do cinema recording on this new one, meaning it'll blur your background for you, make you look super awesome. But, But as we look at the 13th iPhone, man, we've gone through a lot of them. And if you're an Android person, man, God bless your heart. Pray your strength in the Lord as you navigate the world of technology. But, but what, what blows my mind is that the average person touches their phone about 2,617 times a day. Most of the time going now to social media. So, so what is that doing? It's just reinforcing the stream of self. And, and if I don't like what you're doing or how we're interacting, so easy. Just hit a little word called cancel, unfriend, unfollow, whatever it is. I, I can get you out of my life so I can stay within my little echo chamber. But what if we touched the Lord 2,617 times a day? Like, how would that change? Now, let me, let me tell you, I know some of you guys build your businesses on, on your phone, all that social media strategies, so I'm not hating on that. That, that is awesome. Continue to do your thing. But, but I also want us to, to consider, what if we touch the Lord that many times every day? What if we touch the reality that the Lord is our shepherd 2,617 times a day? I wonder what a stream of reinforcing the centrality of Christ would do to our hearts and our minds. How would life be different if we touch that reality every single day? Now, When it comes to to selfies, 93 million selfies each day. Is that even even like true? That's a lot of selfies. 
259 people have died taking selfies. 25,000 selfies the average person will do in a lifetime. 55% of plastic surgeons says patient comes wanting to look better in their selfie. And 35 million selfies are posted on Instagram. But, but how many of you guys know there's a lot of great selfies out there? Some of us, we, we've taken some good selfies, good memories. It's, it's great. But how many of you guys know sometimes selfies go wrong? Like, look, look at this thug. Such a gangster. With a little dollhouse in the back. How cute is that? I mean, you guys may not be able to see it, but he has a nice little dollhouse represented in the back. Selfie, they don't always go as planned. Like this woman, her dog throws up in the middle of the picture. I don't know if this is real. It looks really green. looks like slime. looks Photoshop. I don't know. But maybe it is. Maybe it's not. But, but you don't know. It's the world of the selfie. This guy tried to take a picture with a camera, a camel. And uh, did it, didn't turn out too well. But, but this selfie right here. You know, this became the most viral post ever posted. And you, you would have thought upon looking at it that this was kind of impromptu, but actually it was very intentional. Galaxy Phone paid each and every one of these people to take a great selfie, and it went viral. And so, so my concern today, I am not here to destroy the selfie. I take selfies with my kids, and I'm not here to, to hate on the selfie. My concern is not selfie gone wrong. My concern is self gone wrong. Because in our culture today, we tend to elevate self in God's place. And the reason why that brings such a concern to me, because there's no real life found in that place. There's no true fulfillment. There's no real joy. You're really not going to find life. Can I just tell you, it's a very fragile place. Because we make horrible gods to elevate ourselves over him. In fact, Jesus said it like this in order to find life. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I think that we've lost the weight of the cross a little bit in our day. I think like the cross we bear now is traffic. I'm bearing my cross. It's traffic. You know, a difficult day. I'm just kind of bearing my cross. But no, Jesus was very clear on what that meant. It wasn't traffic. It was a death to self. It was a dying to ourselves. He says, forever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. You know, here in the West, and I would also say on the East, uh, on the East Coast, outside of the South, th- there is this idea of how do, we, how do we discover our modern self? Like, how do we really find our true identity? How do we live our best life? And can I just tell you that there's an enemy of your soul and a world that has an agenda to activate the worst version of you. The version of you that God said there is no life. But then God has a vision to free you from that very imprisonment. But, but the, the culture would say, hey, you need to go on a discovery of self. And Jesus would say, no, no, you need to deny yourself. Follow me, and in that place, you're going to find life. Because here's the truth. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down, is that when we don't deny ourselves, we're likely to worship ourselves. And this isn't anything new. Like, this is not a new deal. 
our modern culture, it's not new. We look all the way back to the garden with Adam and Eve. The first thing that Satan did was what? Get their eyes off of God, Adam and Eve, and get their eyes onto themselves. You talk about being narrow-minded. You would think that getting our eyes onto ourselves would be more open-minded, but God said, you have every tree in the garden except this one. But you're so focused on this one tree because he was able, the enemy was able to deceive them, to get their eyes off of God and on to themselves. And so we live in a culture today that says, don't let anything, especially God, define you. Define you. Don't let anything tell you. You define yourself from the inside. You name yourself. You get in touch with your deepest self and you name yourself. You give yourself an identity. You invent yourself. The only problem with that is because we make horrible gods, when we do that, we're left to our own capacity of fulfillment. And in that place, we don't have very strong capacity. Like, it's a big task to be your own God. It's a huge task to define your own morality and to convince the world to honor you as the special person that you have created. That's a lot of work. And and the reality is this, is there's consequences when we worship self. See, whenever there's a worship of self, there's always a consumption of sin. Uh, I, I love 1 Corinthians 6 and 9. Paul says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral nor idolaters. Let me stop right here. Idolatry, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget, can be a good thing that you've made a God thing. So when we look at this, you may say, well, I'm not really like any of these things, or maybe I am, maybe I struggle a little bit. But, but in idolatry, you can make family an idol. You can make your career an idol. So Paul is, is not just like harping on just a couple of different aspects. Paul is saying anytime you elevate yourself or a thing over God, you're in trouble. You're in big trouble. He says, no idolaters, no men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, no rivalers, no swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. As such were some of you. So Paul is like, man, God has pulled us out from this old self into a brand new life. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. But but what do you see in the midst of all of those listed, you see a, a, a worship issue. You see self at the center of life. And when self is at the center, what, what does it do? It destroys our joy. It dis- distorts our identity because we start to look to other things um, or within to identify ourselves. And so, so the reason why it's so exhausting is, is, is it's because it's an identity achieved and not received as God had originally intended. And so we have to work really, really hard, and because we're naming ourselves, saying, this is who I am, rather than letting God define us and say, this is who I've created you to be. And so in other words, you become your source and not God. We talked a lot about that at our Freedom Conference. If you missed this last one, don't, don't worry, we're, we're gonna do it again. But, but the, the point is this, is that you become the source and not God. Right, look at, look at Peter. Peter, I love Peter. Matthew chapter 16 says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, 
and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So Jesus is like, listen, guys, I'm going to the cross. They're going to kill me. And Peter looks at him. He says this. He took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Not a very encouraging day for Peter. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You see, the reality is, is our life is very fragmented. Today, I stand on the platform until about 1230 as a spiritual authority, as a pastor. And then I'm going to leave and I'm going to probably go get something to eat. At that moment, I become a customer. And then I go home and I'm a neighbor. And then I'm a husband and I'm a father. Now, let me just tell you this. I don't compartmentalize my life like that. I'm just using it as an example. I, I am, I, we don't separate life, our life, personal life from ministry. No, this is, this is, all of that encompasses our life. But my point is this, is that there is a true you in every one of those scenarios. Everybody may not see that, but you know. That there is a consistency on the inside of you that no matter what environment you're in, you still need validation. You're still looking for fulfillment. You're looking to be known. Like all of us have, underneath all of it, you may personify one thing, but there is a core to your being that you identify with certain things. Now, now when, when God ceases to be the source, what ends up happening is we start to identify purely with human concerns. We're not really concerned about divine things because we find our security in other things. Are you tracking with me? Meaning we're not letting the good shepherd name us. We're either naming ourselves or letting things name us. And so what that does is it, it provides a very fragile identity. That at any moment you could be tossed, offended, you become very protective. And so we see that with Peter all throughout his life until the book of Acts. We see something shift there. But for Peter, no matter if it was this moment, Jesus talking about the cross, Peter was like, no, 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 no. you can't leave me. There was an undercurrent to Peter. There was a core to his being that there was this fear. I don't know if it was a, of abandonment, of, of maybe his dreams not coming to fruition, but then you fast forward, and they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is getting captured, and what does Peter do? He grabs a sword, and he cuts off a soldier's ear. Why? Because there's this undercurrent that no matter what environment Peter was in, Peter was like, no, you're not leaving. You're not going. I'm not going to let this happen. So on the outside, it looked like Jesus was his source, but really it was, it was what he wanted Jesus to give him was really his source. At that moment. And then we see in the courtyard where they, after they captured Jesus and they took him, Peter was there. And a little girl asked him, hey, you, truly, like, you're one of those Galileans. And, and he cursed and said, no, I'm, I'm not. I don't even know who the man is. Refused to identify with Jesus. So, so we see that there's a core to Peter's being. No matter what environment that he's in, there's this undercurrent. Ministry's still happening. Life is still going. But underneath it all. There is a place where Peter is longing, looking for value, security, identity. And it looked like Jesus was on the outside for the most part, but it was really what Jesus could give him until later in the book of Acts. We see that was all eradicated. Like, for example, we were at a conference one time, and Jack and I were talking to this couple. And it was funny because you just know when a couple's not interested in talking to you. 
They're kind of looking over like, where are the important people in the room? Um, because we really don't want to talk to you because we're, you're not important. Oh, you just get that vibe. Until they see who we're with. And then it's like, oh, oh, how are you? Man, it's so good. Man, I'm so glad we got to catch up. Like, no, you're not. You just saw who I was with. So you want a connection there. So it's really not authentically about the relationship. It's about what you can garner from it. And so, so Jesus is saying, listen, Paul is saying that self has to die. That self has to die. It's very fragile. It's a fragile identity. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now, this word futility isn't just like depravity or isn't just shallow. The actual original word in the Greek, it means vanity. Oh, it just changes the whole passage. No longer live as the Gentiles do in their pride of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. It continues, and he says, That, however, is not the way of life you have learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitudes of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul is saying, you got to put off that old self. That's not who you are. That's not who God has created you to be. That's not who God has called you to. The tough part is this. The tough part is we, you and I, live in a postmodern culture. Way more on the West and the Far East than they do in the Middle America. We live in a postmodern culture which is permeated. Pop culture, it's permeated and has taught an entire generation how to think via videos, media, movies, music, social media. And if you don't believe me, just, just listen to this one phrase. Follow your heart. Just follow your heart. I mean, come on, like, just, just be you. Just follow your heart. And it sounds so good on the surface, doesn't it? And there may even be some truth to that in certain ways. But the motivation is coming from a totally different place. It's coming from a, a postmodern mind, a postmodern culture. Now, let me just catch you up to speed. You've heard me say this once before, but let me refresh your memory. And I took Dramamine last night by accident because I'm going on a boat tomorrow, but I took the, the drowsy kind, so I'm a little loopy. So if, I, if I'm loopy, just don't judge me. But in 1700, in the 1700s, modernism came into being. And modernism basically said, because of science and technology, we no longer really need the church to help us to define reality. But what, one of the things that they did is they said, we do believe in objective truth, meaning like this table is really here. We just don't feel like we need God to discover that. We can use science and technology, right? So fast forward, postmodern. Some would say is like a baby of modernism or an enhancement or a fulfillment of modernism. Some would say it's totally rebellious against modernism. But anytime you remove God, the slope just gets slippier, slipperier, whatever. Um, and so, 
So postmodern says we no longer believe in objective truth. Every truth is subjective when it comes to the individual. So in, in other words, my truth is whatever I want to, you know, whatever's inside of my heart, I want to follow, that's my truth. My truth is what I feel. My truth is what I experience. And so we give so much authority to our experiences to, dis- to determine our decisions. And then what ends up happening is there's no grand story that you and I are living for. That's greater than ourselves. Like it's no longer we're on mission because there's a God who desperately loves us and has called us and that the story of life is so much bigger than you and I. There's no grand story because there's no God in postmodernism. It's, it's the removal of God. So we are left to produce our own morals and ethics, to create our own realities. And exclusive truth claims have to be deconstructed because they're dangerous and they're oppressive and abusive. So, so what does that mean? It means uh, truth claims like Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Postmodern mind would say that that's oppressive. That, that, that has to be deconstructed. It's abusive. It's oppressive. It's harmful. And so, so this is the culture that we're living in. I, I like to say it like this, that we no longer look outside of ourselves to God for our identity and for the good shepherd to name us, but rather we are told to look within and name ourselves. Follow your heart. The, the, I mean, it sounds good. Don't get me wrong. It sounds good. Like, yeah, like, be true. Like, be your most authentic self. Some scholars would say we're in the, the, the time of, of authenticity. And some of that is, is okay. Some of that, there, there's some truth underneath that. But here's the problem when we follow our heart is that Scripture says the heart is deceitful above all things. And it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? And so, listen, we were never meant to follow our hearts. We were, we were meant to follow Jesus and allow him to change our hearts because our hearts have been fractured as a result of sin. Are you with me on that? And so, so it, it becomes a little bit tough when we say things like, it's just who I am. And can I just tell you, I'm not just talking about sexuality, even though that's part of the conversation. It, it's bigger than sexuality. No, like, whatever I feel... Whatever I identify with, however I want to live my life, again, at the root of it, it's, it's idolatry. It's I'm exalting myself over God. It's a worship problem. I'm exalting myself, and rather, as Paul says in Romans, rather than worshiping the creator who created all things, I'm worshiping creation. And this is the thought in our day. It's the, the thought in our day in postmodernism is rooted in relativism. Meaning there's no absolutes. There's no such thing as absolute truth, even though that's an absolute statement, so you can see where the fallacy in it. There's no such thing as absolute truth. People just say, I'm living out my truth, but here's the problem. I'm living out my truth, don't judge me. Until someone is living out their truth that you disagree with, and then it's a problem. And so, so it, it's, it's very fragile, and I say this with all sensitivity because maybe even some of you, some of you tuning in online are, are wrestling in this space. So I'm not here to like punch you in the face. But what I am here to do is, is to hopefully cause you to think and consider some things. Like, like, for example, with this train of thought, if I can just live out my truth and my truth is my truth and there's no such thing as absolute truth, 
then when people hurt us, when they abuse us, when we see injustice in the world, we can't criticize that. We should celebrate it because they're just living out their truth. They're living out what pleases them, what fulfills them. Even if that means to your destruction and to your harm, how can we be mad at them? But, but you and I both know that even if we had that mindset and if we have that mindset, when people hurt us, we know that something is wrong. When people abuse us, we know that something is wrong. When we see injustice in the world, we look and we're like, something is broken. Where does that come from? And because we all feel that, we see a deep inconsistency with this train of thought. Because remember, whatever pleases the other person, whatever fulfills them, we should be celebrating. When you remove God, we're left to an evolutionary mind, which is simply the strong survive. It's survival of the fittest. I, I told you briefly about a conversation that I had with a woman in Costco. She was a former professor at MIT, and she said, you know what you should be preaching about? You should be preaching against ISIS. I was like, but, but you don't even believe in God, so how can you believe in evil? Like, why? Because she said, ISIS is evil. I said, not according to your belief system. You should be celebrating ISIS because they are living out their truth. And they're just stronger than the people in the region, and they're dominating. So why in the world would you be upset with them? Like, you should be celebrating that. And so, so all of us, when we hear that, we're like, no, that doesn't work. Let me give you a question. When you are dialoguing with somebody that doesn't know the Lord and maybe has this, this view, ask them this question. You might need to take a picture of it. How do you tell someone that doesn't feel like what they're doing is wrong and whose culture tells them it's not wrong that they're doing something wrong? You know what you're going to find? Uh... uh Man, let me think about that. Um, can I just tell you all of my conversations around LGBTQI, all my conversations around postmodernism, you know, they, they never stay there very long. They move very quickly to a moral law and the existence of God. That, that, that's what it, it comes back down to. Because if, if you're living in a po with a postmodern mind rooted in relativism, and you have a problem with other people, it's like, okay, well, where do you base your morality on? So now you can live however you want to live, but then you want to tell others how they should live and what's right and wrong. So now you become the basis of morality for everybody, and then I become the basis of morality for everybody, and then because we're all living out our own truth? Like that, no, it's just, it's very inconsistent. Because remember, to assume evil is to assume good. To assume good is to assume a moral law. To assume a moral law is to assume a moral law giver, a.k.a. G-O-D. And so it's, it's, it's really, really inconsistent. It's an inconsistent identity. A relativist says, no one can tell me what's right or what's wrong, yet I can tell others how to live lives that are not unjust. And the problem is there's no sufficient moral source for their moral ideas. It's just, it's just totally inconsistent. I mean, think about this. Would this work in your house? Hey, everybody just live out your own truth. Like, we, we would never apply this to any other area. 
You wouldn't come to the workplace and say, I'm living out my truth. I think, I think it should be done this way. Yeah, they'll be like, oh, that's so good, living out your truth. You're fired. Hope your truth works out for you. Like, we just wouldn't apply this in our relationships. What if we just said, hey, I have no obligation to you except to live out my truth. We, we just wouldn't apply this. And can I just tell you, our feelings contradict themselves a lot. A lot. I mean, recently I, had to, I, I got to go to a conference, but I really didn't want to go because I'm going to be traveling next week. I'm going shark diving. That's why I took the dram of me. Um, and, uh, and, and I remember just being torn. Like, I really want to stay home, but I, I really want to go on this trip. I should go on this trip. I really want to stay home. Can I just tell you that I, like, both of them were true. And so our feelings contradict themselves a lot. Eventually, I had to choose. But, but think about this. If, if, we, if we're just moved by our feelings or, or what, you know, our experiences or, or what we just feel like is truth to us, how was your truth, if you are a little bit older, how was your truth at 18? Like, if you're 18, how was your 10-year-old self? And then what about 20? What, what about now if you're in your 40s, you look back on your 30s? And it's almost like in every season of life, we're immature. Isn't that funny? Like the older you get, like, man, I was my 40-year-old self, man. My 50-year-old self. You just, I mean, there, there's all, it's always shifting and changing. So, so my, my, my heart is to, to help you see that, man, we can be sincere about things, but we can be sincerely wrong. And our feelings can be all over the place. Look what the scripture says. Verse 28. Those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Now, if you have this mind, I'm not calling you a fool. What I'm here to say is that, listen, sometimes what we're processing on the inside is not always true. It's not always accurate. It doesn't always lead to a great place. Many times with this postmodern mind, it not only leads to an inconsistent identity, but identity of illusion. Because we say things like, it's, it's my truth. Man, I'm just, the feelings that I have, this is who I am. Nobody can tell me. But like I said, we have a multiplicity of feelings, ladies and gentlemen. So it's not the feelings we feel, it's the feelings we choose. I had to make a choice. Am I going to stay home or go on the trip? And there's a lot of things that are helping me make that decision that aren't on the inside. Let me give you an example. When I was living wild, when I was a thug, and let's just say like hypothetically, somebody was getting beat up. And hypothetically, my friends were doing it. And hypothetically, I should probably get involved in that. And so I know that I probably should go get a couple kicks in. You know. But I have this other feeling that says, look at the guy. Dude, he's on the ground. He's bleeding, suffering. In that moment, I feel a lot of different things but which choice do you think got pushed, pushed down a little bit? I'm going to leave that to your imagination. I'm not even going to tell you. 
but, but you see, I had a lot of feelings in that moment, but I, I had to choose which feelings to follow. Tim Keller gives another example. He says that there was a Saxton warrior, or he uses a Saxton ancient warrior, which was like an Irish farmer who attacked Britain. Um, just these guys were known for their brutality. They were known for uh, smashing people's heads in. And they found great pride in that. But, but he says, imagine the Saxon warrior. He may be feeling multiplicity of feelings. On one hand, he loves the angst on the inside of him that he gets to smash people's heads in and crush them and pound them and obliterate them. But then he also may have feelings of same-sex attraction as was prevalent in that day. He said, what feeling do you think he's going to choose? Now, in this particular culture, it was a shame-honor culture. Again, everything was about strength. And if we're not strong, society unravels. So it'd be so likely for the Saxon word to say, I am the angry guy. I I am not the guy with same-sex attraction. But if you fast forward, Tim Keller says to our day, whether in New York City or maybe on the West Coast somewhere or anywhere in between, with this idea of, of, of modern thought or relativism. He, he says it like this. He says, today it might look like this. I feel this rage on the inside that I just want to smash people's face in. And I also feel these feelings of same-sex attraction. He says, in, in our day, it may look a little bit different. We may say, with the anger management, that, is, that anger, that is not who I am. I need counseling. But the same-sex attraction, that is who I am. So his point was this, is his point was when, when Christ is not the source defining who we are, we think that we're choosing in it of ourselves, but our hearts just lay on a grid that's infiltrated and, and influenced by culture. So it's an illusion. You think you're making a lot of these decisions But all of these decisions, many times, are sifted. Something is helping you sift through the feelings that you choose. And a lot of times, it's the culture. You see, that's why the beautiful thing, when when Christ identifies who we are, he's unchanging. There are absolute truths, as we just saw. Paul's like, that's not the truth that you received. And, and so the idea is this, on both sides of it, whether it's me on the street or it's the Saxon or it's the guy walking around in our day, the reality is if Christ is not the source, everything is open for consideration. And it just depends on the time that we're living in that will determine what feelings we choose. But it's still not ultimately us deciding. We're super influenced by everything around us. And so not only is it an illusion, it, it's a heavy identity. It's a heavy identity because you have to find it. You got to find your identity, ladies and gentlemen. You got to find it. You have to define it. And then you have to achieve it. How many of you guys know that can, be, that can be a tough thing? Everything is based around performance. So, so rather than looking to God, we look to ourselves and we say, career is it. I got to be super successful. That is who I am. I am the epitome of success. It's the job. It's the stilo. It's the swag, it's, it's the house, it's the car, 
It's all of these other things. And, and what do I do now? i got to perform really, really hard to make sure that I have that, which is really heavy in and of itself, but that's not what makes it heavy. What makes it heavy is then we can't even enjoy it because we become a slave to it because we desperately need it for our value and identity. And so the very thing that maybe we enjoyed at one time, we can't enjoy because we are a slave to it. I think this happens in sports all the time. You know, somebody grows up loving basketball, just love the game. And then all of a sudden they get, you know, drafted here and drafted there. Next thing you know, they're in the NBA. And all of a sudden there's this tension between I love the game, but I got to get paid. I love the game, but I got to maintain this image. I I love the game, but I got to be the best. Because their identity starts to get rooted in what they do rather than who God is and has called them to be. And the very thing that they once loved, they're now a slave to, and it crushes you because the weight is too great. It's fragile. It's the moment you roll your ankle and you're done. Now what? It's crushing. And then, then lastly, it's, it, it divides. C.S. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, we're not proud of having money. We're proud of having more money than the next person. Like, we're not proud of being smart. We're proud that we're smarter, wittier, and maybe more put together than the next. And so, so again, you take the best football player in high school, and then you put him on a college campus. Instantly, he feels like this. Like, I was the top dog. And now all these cats are way bigger, stronger, and faster, and more amazing than I am. And so, so you see an identity that, that is achieved, not received, it divides. Because in order to feel good, I have to crush somebody else. This happens in politics all the time. You know, our identity can be wrapped up in our politics so much. And what do we have to do in order to feel value, in order to feel secure, in order to feel identity? We have to crush the other side. Just have to make sure that they get smashed because as long as they look smashed or I feel, you know, a little bit more inferior, a little bit, a little bit better because I have to achieve this identity. It divides me, separates and isolates me from other people because I have to destroy them. So just, just this, is, uh, this is the scratching the surface, but can you just see the fallacy in the thinking? It doesn't work. So, so you say, well, what is the answer? Well, the answer is what we, we started off with. Is it very, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. Can I just tell you what, what's happened? It's not we're looking within our own heart. It's we just allowed a thief and a robber in there. It's the same thief that looked at Adam and Eve and says, listen, God's just holding out on you because he knows if you eat this fruit, you're just going to be like him. He doesn't want you to be like him. Get your eyes on yourself. It's a false shepherd. It's a thief. And the enemy plays on our brokenness. Man, I've been so grieved because I'm like, man, I, I know that there are, there are a lot of people that are broken. But can I just tell you, people, especially in the church, if when, when we don't deal with our brokenness, in the moment we're, we've been abused by the wolf, but then we start to become the wolf and hurt other people 
So it's so important that we, we deal with what's going on, what's happening on the inside of us. But to do that, you gotta deny yourself and lift him up. And it's, it's hard. It's tough sometimes, it's painful. But there are false shepherds saying, enter in this way. This is, this is the way. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. See, the one who enters by the gate is the true shepherd. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. And what does he do? The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. Do you love it how when Jesus called Peter, his real name was Simon, he said, I'm giving you a new name. It's not going to be Peter. It's not going to be Simon. It's going to be Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Can you imagine what that did for Peter in that moment? Speaking to his identity. Who God has called him to be. That, that, that Christ is at the center. That he is the one who defines us. And what happens? He leads us out beside still waters, green pastures. He restores our soul. And so what's happening is, is these ideologies are creeping in and they're just false shepherds promising everything but can't deliver. And when you actually get into the idea or the thought of them, they fall apart. So I'm saying is we need to let the good shepherd name us. I'll never forget a time when one of the, the guys that, I, that I, I looked up to, he's, he's kind of an elder in the organization that we're a part of and planting churches. Remember I showed up to an event and... I told you this before, but I think it makes a, a great picture. I showed up to an event and he said, hey, um, he said, hey, Lace. My last name is Lacey. He said, hey, Lace. That's what my wife calls me. Um, it was like he knew me. I'm like, bro, I, I've, never, I've never met you. So that means he had to do his due diligence to figure out who I was. And he walked all, I'm in the back of a large auditorium, walks all the way, what's up, Lace, how you doing, you good? And I'm like, you know my name? And I, again, I've never been starstruck by any of that, but it was, like, it was like a father just saying, I see you, I see you. And, and, then, and then next morning, he wakes up, he comes and he says, what's up, Lace, how you doing, good? I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. And then he calls me up on the platform and uses me in an illustration. I never felt so uh, grateful to be used in my whole life. But it wasn't about who he was. It was just the fact that he knew my name. How much more to the one who names us, adopts us into his family, and dies for us to prove that it's legit? How much more? Because for Peter, Peter lived with this undercurrent, this core on the inside of him that was broken, this old self that Jesus was constantly pointing him away from and pointing him to himself. And eventually, Peter threw it off. But it wasn't until the, the reality of the resurrection and the reality of his insufficiency as he denounced the very one that he said he never would. In that moment, he sees that, Lord, I'm really nothing and I desperately need you. And here the risen Savior is before him, and something changes in Peter's heart. He's filled with the Spirit, and no longer is he concerned with human things, but he's concerned with whatever God has, so much so that it led to his death willingly on a cross. And tradition says that Peter said, turn me upside down, because I'm not worthy to be killed like my Lord. A totally different Peter. Just the old self is gone, walking in the fullness of his new identity in Christ. 
where there was a loss of fear, only fulfillment. It didn't exempt pain, but it didn't matter because my eyes, my life is fixed on the one that is secure, not inconsistent, the one that's the same yesterday, today, and forever, not an, an illusion, not an idea or a philosophy, but a person. Not, not a heavy load. The one that said, come to me, you who are heavy and burdened, and I will give you rest for your soul. And for the one that the gospel says, listen, the cross screams that we all need Jesus. And so no longer is there a divide anymore because as I look at you and you look at me, the cross levels the playing field. So I don't need to put you down. I don't need us to be divided because I am secure in the one who says he loves me, is for me, died for me, and has sealed me until the day that I go to be with him. So much better of an identity. Lord, set us free. Let us put off the old self. Listen, if you're here today and you say, Pastor Matt, I, I just, I hear it. Maybe you've been buying into some of those lies like Peter. Man, you're following Jesus on the outside, but that's really not what's driving you. It's really not what you need. You need to feel secure and valued by having all of these things in the right places, by following this or following that. Can I just invite you to leave the false shepherds and to come to the one who knows your name? False shepherds don't care about your name. The good shepherd does because he created you before the foundations of the earth. He had you in his mind with purpose and destiny. And so if that's you either in person or online, you say, Pastor Matt, I just need to surrender my life to Jesus. I need to go all in. On the count of three, I just want you to slip up your hand if you're in the house. And if you're not, just let us know online or call that number just on the count of three. One, two, three. Would you slip up your hand and say, I need to come home or I need to surrender my life to Jesus this morning. Thank you. Yes. I see your hand. Thank you. So good. I'm going to pray with you right now. Would you, can we all pray this together with them? Just say, Lord Jesus, today I surrender to the good shepherd. I confess my sin, my ways, my everything that has not been of you. I renounce myself, my old self, and embrace you as my Lord, you as my Savior, you as my source. Would you wash me, cleanse me, forgive me. Give me a hunger for your word and fill me with your spirit. Make me brand new today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, can we give the Lord a big hand? So good. Thanks again for joining us here at Fountain Church. For more details on how to get connected, visit us at fountainchurch.cc. We're also on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. We'll see you next time.